Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. We're in Sunday two, and we're doing two services, two different lots of Advent voices um, each Sunday. So last week we kicked off, and um, this morning um, Fran did a message that you won't hear at Christmas possibly ever on Herod and Rachel, which is well worth watching on Facebook Live from this morning or from our podcast during the week. And so next week we'll be having another kind of two voices coming out of it, and then we culminate these things in Christmas Eve when we do our uh, Christmas Eve services at five and seven and, and hear God's voice, hopefully. And so it's an exciting series to be to be trawling some known voices and some less known voices and to be to be hearing what they have to say all afresh. And so we're in this Advent series, Advent, sort of, you know, the, the season of the church when we concentrate on things like, you know, hope and peace. Hope candle's gone out. I don't know what that means. It's just been going out all of the time for the last few weeks. We just can't do that. But, you know, the peace candle's still going and joy still springs eternal or something like that. So so there is hope for us yet. So it's, a, it's this wonderful thing that we're doing. Um, and so it's a time that we can travel with the characters of the scriptures towards Jesus. It's like for us, we sit at the other end of the story and we look at it and we think that we know it all and what is the, and yet we can choose to walk into a traveling towards Jesus, to meeting Jesus along the way. And that's what I guess we're hoping that you'll do. We're trying hard from the front to do that. But I guess we're inviting you to, to, to embrace what we're doing through the voices that we hear and the Sundays that you hear and the ones that maybe you miss you might listen to. And together we can hear the voices of Advent of Christmas speaking to us afresh and then the Holy Spirit speaking to us again. I like to think that just as these people traveled towards the manger and towards, um, towards the birth of Jesus, then we too can do exactly that. So we will hear of voices of kings and shepherds and priests and seers and prophets, um, of men and women and of people who are just like you and me. And we hope that with these fresh insights, you know, kind of moments of healing will come, moments of restoration will come, moments of inspiration will come. And that even in the bright parts and the dark parts, and we talked about them a bit this morning, Fran did, and I'll talk about them a little bit tonight, um, that we're going to recognize something of ourselves and recognize an opportunity to make room for the incarnation, for Jesus, for God becoming human. That's what Christmas is all about at the end of the day. And we look forward to sharing that with you over these weeks. And so tonight I'm going to be talking about Joseph. And I've had a lifelong fascination and enjoyment of Joseph. I think I was once in a Sunday school play and I played Joseph. I wish I had a photo for you. Tea towel on the head, you know that thing. But I may have just been a king. I might have only got a bit part or something like that. So I think I, enjoy, I was Joseph in my mind. I don't know whether that was really the case or not. But I remember early on when I started to have the opportunity of preaching in the church that I became a Christian and I guess I was in my early 20s. And I remember talking to one of our pastors and saying, 
I'd like to preach a message on Joseph. And he immediately thought it was Joseph from the Old Testament. You know, oh yeah, Technicolor Dreamcoat. You know, he could do all of that, dreams, you know, weird dreams, and you know, kind of all of this sort of stuff. And, and, and it was like, no, no, I, I like Joseph. I like the guy who's the husband of Mary. I like the guy who's the acting father of Jesus who takes them through. There's something about him. We don't actually know a lot about him. The scripture doesn't say a lot. We're going to read what the scripture says tonight. But I like this guy, Joseph. And I think, well, I hope this will come out to you tonight because I'm going to share with, with relish and enthusiasm some of the things we know and some of the things I think we can interpret from what he did and who he was. And so I want to read to you from Matthew 1 and 2 tonight. Um, so if you've got Bibles, turn to them. I'm going to be reading. It's all from the message. So if you've got the message on your phone or something like that, you might like to read through with me and if not you know it will read slightly differently but we'll negotiate our way through as we go starting at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 and it says the birth of Jesus took place like this his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph before they came to the marriage bed Joseph discovered she was pregnant it was by the Holy Spirit but but he didn't know that Joseph chagrined but noble determined to take care of these things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. You know, one of the things that's really notable with the whole Christmas story is how familiar we are with it and how we can miss some of the depths uh, along the way. Some of the enormity of what was happening. Well, of course, Joseph was about to get married to Mary, and Mary got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. No, that happens every second week, doesn't it? You know, sort of thing. And of course, you know, sort of he had this thing, you know, and it's like, oh, no, kind of, you know, you've got to back up the truck and think, oh, my goodness, something incredible is happening here. And so as the story unfolds to Joseph, in verses 18 and 19, there's betrayal in the air, there's unfaithfulness in the air, this arrain, this you know, this this agreement that he had with Mary has been broken along the way, and he has to process this without the visit yet of the angel Gabriel that Mary has had by now, and without even an explanation from Mary. It seems that she hasn't even told him this, probably because it would be so far fetched to even imagine it. And I think we can probably all imagine it. Maybe if I can, you're not really allowed to do the men and women thing so much these days, perhaps. But we can imagine men. If a woman was to come to you who you were committed to and you knew that you couldn't be the father, but she was to say, you know, I don't know how, but I've got pregnant and, and um, it wasn't because I've been unfaithful to you. Imagine where you would go in your head with that or imagine women. Um, if you found and you hadn't, you know, kind of been unfaithful to the one that you've been promised to, but you found because God had chosen you to be his vessel that you discovered that this was happening. This was happening. One of the things I love about Joseph is he's just an ordinary man, it seems to me, a man that I can relate to. And I suspect Mary was too, you know, kind of a, a very young, we think, a very young woman. And these things are happening to real people. You know, they're not sort of pawns of God or, you know, super people or anything like that. They're, they're just people that God is, is visiting and, 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 and coming close to and changing the world, changing eternity because of it. And I, I think it's this incredible thing. And so it's against that background that we start to hear the voice of Joseph, our Advent voice for tonight. And he is chagrined. Anyone use that? Commonly, Eugene Peterson does. Do you use that, Becca? 
Well, all of you, I'm going to introduce you to a new world. A new word, sorry, not a new world. Uh, my, my aim for this is pretty simple, really, but a new word would be great. Chagrined, you know, annoyance at being humiliated, essentially it means. Probably more than annoyance in the case of this, but he was chagrined by this thing. And yet noble, nobility of fine personal qualities, of high moral principle, as he's annoyed, but he's a man of fine personal qualities and these high moral principles, also translated maybe in a, in a more um, traditional version of the Bible as just or faithful sometimes. And so he determines that he's going to divorce her um, quietly so that Mary will not be disgraced. I, I, I like this. I like the fact, you know, he's, he's, he's with the, the times, you know, kind of that he's in, but he's going to protect Mary in some way, even though he needs to divorce her he needs, because, because of what seems to have happened here. And so it seems we're allowed to be chagrined, you know, kind of when unfaithfulness comes to us or when, when things happen that are, that are unfair and unright, it seems like we're allowed to be chagrined. But, you know, at our best, our nobility will kick in. And I love the thought of us becoming noble, you know, over a, over a journey. You know, it's not like I'm going to pray for nobility and everybody's going to be who's not noble is going to be noble. It's like this is a journey that we take with Jesus towards Jesus and nobility kicks in. Our fine personal qualities that ensure that ultimately we're going to act on behalf not of ourselves but of another, even the other perhaps who might have hurt us bitterly along the way. And this is where he stands at the end of verse 19. But of course we know the story because it moves on from there and we should read it. And so it says while he was trying, verse 20 we are if you're still trying to follow, while he was trying to figure a way out he had a dream. And God's angel spoke in the dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant, which I think is worth even just pausing again. This is incredible. It's not sort of, you know, what's a line in a Christmas carol or something, but God has visited, is visiting, is engaging with his creation in a way that we've never seen before and that is going to change our lives. It's going to, it's going to enthrall us. It's going to bring us to church. It's going to, it's going to make us want to serve him. This is an incredible thing that's happening. She will bring her son to birth, and when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, Hebrew for God is with us. In verse 24, then Joseph woke up and he did exactly what God's angel commanded in the dream. He married Mary, but he did not consummate the marriage until he had the baby. He named the baby Jesus. And so I can't help thinking that Joseph would have thought, I've just jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Oh, for the days when my fiancé had just been unfaithful to me. That was all I needed to worry about at that stage. Oh, the simple days of unfaithfulness. All of a sudden, I've become the father of God, you know. It's like, I'm going to have to change God's nappies. I'm going to have to grow with God. I'm going to have to make sure he doesn't get run over by a chariot or something like that because it's what the whole, the whole of God's eternal plan is now in my hands. Fathers, you know, kind of played a big part. They're providers, all of these sorts of things. It's like, oh my goodness. Things have got really serious along the way here. Along the way here. And I think Joseph's life 
if we look at it as a whole lot of juxtapositions, a juxtaposition between doubt and faith. You know, it's like, I don't know, for goodness sake, what's happening. There's the doubt side of him and there's the faith side of him. And it's like, and yet I trust. And yet I, and yet I sense that God is still good and, and, and real. There is chagrin. Our new word, you know, kind of there's the sense of, I don't know, the sense of injustice and, and almost a righteous injustice. And yet within the chagrin, there is a nobility that we share or that we grow into because this is what God is leading us towards. You know, we're not, we're not shielded from these tough times, but out of it comes something of the best of us. And that's a magnificent thing. You know, there's a fair bit of confusion, isn't there? And then there's a lot of obedience. You know, it's like, I, I do not understand. Nobody predicted it like this. Nobody knew that this was going to happen. And why would it be me anyway? And we've all felt that at some way along our journey, which is why Joseph's voice can speak to us today. And yet there's an obedience that when we're at our best, we can say, you know, kind of, uh, this is tough. This is really hard. And yet I'm going to obey. And there's a humanity and spirituality, and I, in a sense, I don't want to play them off against each other because I, I don't think we should separate them particularly. But you can understand his humanity, can't you? And yet you can respect and love the fact that he's a deep lover of God and he's going to come through this. It's so like us. You know, are you a mixture of doubt and faith? Well, I am. Are you a mixture of chagrin and nobility? Well, I know I am. Are you a mixture of confusion and obedience? Oh, often. And so we, like Joseph, can hear his voice, can walk forward, and we can discover some of those things. I love this uh, icon of Joseph and Mary without Jesus. The sense of, you know, having to lean in somewhat to each other, having to discover each other along the way, you know, almost having, um, you know, butted those heads because of the, the situation that came and yet coming and, and being available to this yet unborn Jesus to be in their midst. And it's like, I mean, I wonder for us if, we're a li- if we could be or an invitation this year for us to be a little like this, to have a, to have a space for a Jesus that we've yet to meet and yet to know and to grow in these things of Joseph from there. Seems like a good thing to me anyway. And so having processed this seeming unfaithfulness and some, and, and, and some of the commentators look at this and they talk about Joseph's baptism of fire because he's going to have to go on. He's, this is not just a sort of, you know, kind of a, a couple of weeks in the life of Joseph and then he went off to be, you know, a carpenter or whatever he was. Everything's changed by now. And so he's going to have to, um, he's going to, have to be there in a way that he never would have had to, which we'll explore for a little bit. He's left to con- contemplate this life as the father of God's son, husband to the person who's the mother of God, giving birth to God, and care for them, he's going to have to. Here's some of the ways that he's going to have to care for them. He is going to have to, in an ongoing way, protect Mary and Jesus from scandal. So we think, well, you know, he's protected sort of at the birth, so it's never going to have to be, oh, no, this, this follows them through their whole life. This is going to follow them because all of the, the scandal is no less it's just that it's not really known. And so Joseph in providing a family name, I suppose, or we would understand it perhaps today, Joseph in providing, you know, kind of security for, the, for this family. Joseph in, in being faithful in, um, to Mary and to Jesus is going to provide a security along the way um, that, 
that is going to be ongoing and going to need to be ongoing. The circumstances of Jesus' birth are never declared in the scriptures after this. We never know them after this. It's not like Jesus goes, well, you know, I understand because I'm a, a solo child as well or, or anything like that. It's, it's not known. And, and well, we don't exactly know why, but it seems that, you know, kind of that still needed to be kept safe and secure. The, the, the Christmas story wasn't really written till later that we read and that we understand, oh, everybody knew that these things happened, the stars in the sky. Well, we don't think that that is the case, really, that this was came later. And so Joseph plays this really important part in bringing the family together. It's possibly why Jesus was born in Bethlehem but raised in Nazareth. He was a Nazareth kid. And so Nazareth was a small town in the north. It was a bit of a nothing town. It was a bit like our own Huntley. Is anyone here from Huntley? I'm a Patataru boy, so I'm I'm from small town New Zealand. So, so Huntley was 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 popularly declared the crappiest town in New Zealand just this week. There was Nazareth, Nazareth, except they didn't say crappy. So it's sort of like it's just this the sense of a small town. In fact, in John chapter one, when was it Philip and Nathaniel? Uh, are being called by Jesus. And they say, so, you know, kind of one of them goes to the other and say, I've met the guy who's the Messiah. He comes from Nazareth. And I think it's Philip says to Nathaniel, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Huntley? I guess is what we might say along the way. Us Pataru people, we look down on the Huntleys of this world because it makes us feel better, something like that along the way. And so Jesus grows up in this and there's, you know, you know what small towns are like, or maybe you don't, you know, kind of everybody knows everybody's business. And Joseph is continuing to, to protect this family. We don't know much about him, but he plays this role. We know that he plays this role. His steady, maybe unseen hand makes this possible. And then he has to act immediately to provide protection for the family because it goes on in um, chapter 2. And so let's read also from the message from chapter 2, verse 13. So follow me through again on your phone again in the message because it gets ugly. It gets really ugly not long after Jesus' birth. And it says after the scholars were gone, those are the wise men. Um, Calvin will be speaking about those next Sunday morning if you're interested checking in on Facebook Live or um, uh, you know, kind of listening on the podcast or coming next Sunday morning. We'd love to have you there. God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. I mean, again, this, this is not, oh yeah, oh, you know, that must have been her. This is a real life family who are going through this and lots of stuff's going to happen from here. And so brilliantly, Joseph obeyed. He got up, he took the child and mother under the cover of darkness. He didn't go back to sleep or anything like that. He listened to God and he moved and he took them and he protected them. They were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. This Egyptian exile fulfilled what Hosea had preached. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy two years old and under who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. And Fran talked quite a lot about this this morning, which would be well worth you listening to because it was just such a powerful thing that we gloss over. Oh, yeah, yeah, didn't Jesus kind of become a refugee in Egypt? Oh, he, he became a refugee in Egypt as a, a one-year-old or whatever he might have been at that time, which is an incredible thing. 
And life is no different today. Just in The Hague this week in the Netherlands, they're having the, you know, the, the trial, I guess, of the Myanmar government for the, for the um, appalling genocide of the Rohingyas um, a couple of years ago. You know, kind of in a million, you know, had to flee and ended up in camps in Bangladesh. It happens in our world today. And our journey in Christmas and the voices of the Josephs of this world take us into the very real sense of the world in which we live and the need of discovering this God. And what a, what a, a stark counterplot to this amazing act of love we see unfold in the Christmas story is man's inhumanity to man, which still doesn't seem to have been solved despite the fact that Jesus came to solve it. And we live in a real world. We know and we understand that. And in this real world, we need Josephs, people who are going to stand and do the right thing. So Joseph, eventually, of course, they, Jesus is born, and, and, and they, provide this, they provide this sort of picture or, or, or security for Jesus as he grows. A few thoughts, a few things about Joseph um, that are maybe known, but uh, he's considered, he's, he's venerated as a saint in the Anglican, the Catholic, the Lutheran, and the Orthodox churches. I mean, he's, he's, considered, he's considered as the ideal example of a father. And maybe that's why I loved him so early in my Christian life, you know, because I, I just, I wanted to be a good father. And, you know, I would, I would count Joseph in a, in a small and distant way, but as something of a role model in that process. The last time he appears is in Luke chapter 2, the story of when Jesus is 12, they go to Jerusalem for the Passover, Jesus gets lost, but he's actually in the temple and all of that. It's the last time we hear of Joseph. And it seems that he probably died before Jesus began his public ministry. So into Jesus' adulthood, maybe, but, but it seems that he had died. He was probably a lot older than Mary, we think. And, and, and so he wasn't around, it seems, then. He, he wasn't at the wedding in Cana in, in John chapter 2, which is the first miracle that Jesus did. He doesn't seem to have been at the crucifixion because under Jewish custom, he would have had to take his son's um, uh, body and take it away instead of Joseph of Arimathea. He doesn't seem um, to have, uh, uh, and Jesus would have entrusted um, his mother to the care of Joseph, not of um, John the Beloved. So, so it seems like he's not on the scene along, you know, kind of right to the end of what Jesus is doing, but his work is done, faithfully done, well done. This is a good man. So what can we learn from Joseph? And as we come to an end of my message tonight, and I hope it's helpful just to be even have his life opened up a little to think about, and I'm coming in a few minutes to those three questions that I talked about at the beginning. But a couple of things I think that are really significant or that we can learn from Joseph. And, and the first is this, is without God we cannot, and without us God will not. This is one of my favorite sayings of, of the history of the church. Church, um, popularly believed, said by a guy called Augustine in the fourth century. And in my master's study, I wrote sort of one of, one of my whole year projects around this idea of God doesn't do, we know that without us, we can't do anything. But that God, even in history, um, throughout history as we look, has rarely, if ever, done anything without us. And again, we look back and we think, oh, God had it all under control, these things, as it was happening. You know, he would never would have let Jesus be killed by Herod. You know, of course, you know, kind of, you know, but he used 
Joseph and Mary and others who are in that process without us, it, it seems like it was genuinely in the balance. It, it needed the active steps of people like, not superstar people, but people like you and me to do the right thing, to protect this Jesus, to, to go forward. And so it's incredible. And so the human actions of the Marys and the Josephs of this world and the Brontes and the Dans and the Ruperts and the Briars and the Lukes and the Tarans and the Ians and the Mels and etc, etc, etc. They make a real difference because without God we cannot, we know that. But without us, God will not. And so we're doing the Christmas shop just this week, you know, kind of some of you will know what that is and means. We're feeding 120 families. You know, so far we haven't got a single dollar from God. But we've raised something like $17,000 from the Lion Foundation and from you. And it just seems like we have this incredible thing that's going on for that little thing at least. And 120 families, can you think 120 families are going to have their Christmases changed because of the generosity of God's people. This is what it is all about. It's what we see in Joseph. It's what we see in our midst. You know, this is not a critical message. This is a, this is, we are these people. We are doing this. Isn't it fantastic? Joseph and Mary are, are vulnerable. They're probably poor. And in many ways, they are unremarkable. Certainly not superheroes, but invited by God to do something extraordinary. These ordinary people inspire us to do the same in our lives today. So without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. I think the other thing is I've always had this phrase in the back of my mind whenever I've come to a bit of a crossroads or a decision. You'll never be disadvantaged by doing the right thing. That's my conviction. And um, I think that is partly what Joseph inspired me for all those years ago. You know, here's a, a man with every reason to take the easy option, which is to reject Mary, vulnerable Mary, and leave her to her own devices. Remember, he doesn't know about the God but yet. But he displays, in my view, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, that he can become a model for my behavior all of these years later. And I think it's the same for us today. We will never be disadvantaged by being kind. We will never be disadvantaged by being good. We will never be disadvantaged by being generous, even to our own cost. We'll never be disadvantaged by forgiving or for loving or for telling the truth or for not losing our tempers or giving people a second chance or giving ourselves a second chance. We'll never be disadvantaged in those ways because, because this, is what, this is what God calls us towards and what Joseph speaks to us through the ages and then just sort of as a little writer in the end but you know it's not always obvious what doing the right thing is because Deuteronomy 22 would have said to Joseph I just think we we the men of the village take her out and we should stone her because she's been unfaithful and yet even before while he's still going to divorce her he's he, he, he's planning an easier route than the than the letter of the law if you like and so we wrestle with, and this is a genuine wrestle, to find, kind of figure out what loving is as opposed to kind of applying rules. And that's, a, that's one of the great challenges for us in our, in our understanding of, of life and faith and those things. 
And so there's an aspect of love that triumphs over all of these other things, the other voices that we might hear. And Joseph's voice invites us to discover that as well. And so as we come to an end of Joseph's voice, or as good a job as I can do of bringing you Joseph's voice tonight, I want to ask you three questions. And this is what I want you to do. If you've got a phone or a device or a pen and paper or whatever, I just want you to get it out because I, I, I would love you. And we're just going to close tonight's service with just a time of quiet. I'd love you to choose one of these questions. And you might sort of say, well, you know, kind of you can't, you, can't, you can't tell me what to do. No, I can't tell you what to do at all. But, but um, I'd, I'd love you to kind of, uh, I don't know, open-heartedly grab one of these questions to ponder to think about, to ask. Hey, how do you like gold class, by the way? You guys doing all right there? Oh, this is good. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I want to be in there next Sunday night. There'll be a rush for it next Sunday night. So the first question is this. What can Joseph's voice teach me about following God when it's costly? All, of, all three will be up there at the end, so... What are the things that Joseph can tell me? Because because being a Christian is costly. I, I don't know if you've noticed. Most most people, you know, don't seem to really actively be following their faith. So it costs us something along the way, maybe to live a bit differently. So what can Joseph teach me about following God, even when it's costly? We're going to have a few minutes just to contemplate the one we choose in a minute. How does Joseph's ordinariness inspire me in my own relationship with God? He's just an ordinary man doing a remarkable thing, it seems to me. Just like probably in our humility maybe, and in our re realistic assessment, most of us are just ordinary people just wanting to live out this life of faith. And finally, and this is a bit broader I suppose, what is God's invitation to me this Advent? And so, you know, there's no sort of, you can do any, many, money mo if you like, I, I don't mind, but there's no sort of magic way. But I'd just love you to kind of just look at those questions and just, just choose one. Or maybe God will pop another question to your mind. That would be fine. But I think if the voices that we're hearing about are to cascade into our Advent and into our Christmas, you know, I know the reality is by the time you leave this place, you will have forgotten the questions and you will have pr pretty much forgotten what we're talking about. But if you were to have it and you were to think about it and maybe pray it, maybe there's a question in there that would be life-giving to you. And so if you could just kind of note it down or take a photo of it or something like that. And we're going to start just by allowing God. I'm going to trust that you've chosen one by now just by allowing God and inviting him into this. So Lord, I pray that you would bring in our midst, and I don't quite know what this prayer means, but the spirit of Joseph. The spirit of, of the man who we've met tonight, maybe in a deeper way than we've known before, but at least has been brought to mind who he is and what his voice might say to us today. And I pray that we in, all in some way would be able to take on something of the spirit of Joseph. And Lord, we just, we sit with this question. The one we've chosen, the one you've nudged us towards maybe. And we ask you now 
to allow it to settle, to permeate, to take it out of our head and bring it down all the way to our heart that we may be able to, to wrestle maybe, um, rail against it maybe, wonder at it maybe, embrace it at some point as you work with us on it. And so just in these next few moments of silence, Lord, I pray that you would begin a process that would be rich to us this week and indeed this Advent and indeed as we go forward into a new year. And we welcome, Lord, the voice of Joseph into our lives and of Mary from Fran speaking last week and um, the angels from last Sunday morning and Herod and Rachel from this morning and the wise men from next week and the shepherds next Sunday night and indeed the voice of God. We welcome these voices that we too might journey towards Jesus, incarnate, God, well, that we might live with him and in him and through him and that he might live with us and in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.